Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to open your Bibles to the first chapter of Luke. My Bible's already open there. And I have Mark verse 57 through verse 66 as our text this morning. We are studying verse by verse through the entire book of Luke. And we've been in Luke chapter 1 now for several weeks. We come now to the birth of John the Baptist. Let's read the text. Verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her. They were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak the praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. May the Lord add his blessing, the reading and hearing of his word. Some of you know that my favorite genre of literature is biography. I love to read about real life people and real life situations. I've never had any interest in science fiction or fantasy of any kind. That's no slight to any of you who enjoy that, but I don't. Uh, this past week, my wife and I uh, watched a movie together. And that's a rare occasion, but we did. But it was the story of a man that I've read a lot about over the last few years. The man's name is Louis Zamperini. Louis was an Olympic athlete. He ran as a distance runner in the 1936 Olympics, which you might remember were held in Berlin just before World War II. He did not win a gold medal, but he became a very famous American. But when World War II started, he was enlisted and became an officer aboard a United States bomber plane. And on a mission, they crashed, he and all the crew, into the Pacific Ocean. There were only three survivors, of which Louis was one. These men managed to make it to a life raft, and for 47 days, they were adrift upon the Pacific Ocean. One of the three died, leaving only Louis and one other. On the 47th day, these two men washed up upon one of the Marshall Islands, which you may know was controlled at that time by the Japanese. And they were taken to the custody of the Japanese. They were treated very harshly. They were beaten regularly as they were interrogated. Uh, they spent the remainder of the war under hard labor, under the harshest of conditions. And the movie ends with the liberation of Japan and the freeing of this prison. But as we might expect from a Hollywood movie, there's more to the story. The truth is that as Louis was on board that raft on the Pacific, he promised God that if he allowed him to live, he would serve him the rest of his life. 
And he made good on that promise after the war, becoming an evangelist and leading many people to faith in Jesus. In fact, in 1950, Louis traveled to a prison that had been created for war criminals from World War II, among whom were many of the guards and interrogators who had persecuted him. And he met with almost all of those who had persecuted him and said to them personally that he forgave them. And he embraced each of them with a hug and he shared the gospel with each one of them. And many of them came to faith at that time. And I think that will tell you why I love biography because it reminds me that God uses real people for his own glory. And one of those very real people that God chose to use was someone we know as John the Baptist. John the baptizer, who Jesus said came in the spirit and power of Elijah. No one has ever garnered higher praise than John the Baptist, because it was none other than the Lord Jesus who said of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verse 11, there has not arisen born of woman any greater than John the Baptist. Well, several decades ago, there was an American boxer who professed himself to be the greatest and he said it so loudly over such a long period of time that most people began to believe it. But the truth is, Jesus Christ declared John the Baptist the greatest, and that means he was. John was great for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I admire John the Baptist so much is that he spoke the truth to power. When those Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, came out to him in the wilderness where he was preaching a message of repentance and faith, and baptizing people there in the Jordan River, he called that group of doubters a brood of vipers, a bed of snakes. John was not given to materialism either. Scripture says that his diet was locust and wild honey, lived off the land, and his suit was rough. He was a humble man, we know that. In fact, uh, his greatest, most enduring quote Speaking of Jesus, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. He knew his place. As great as John was, he was a sinner in need of salvation. There were moments of frailty and weakness and an imperfect faith. By the way, just like his predecessor, Elijah. Remember when Elijah had just won his greatest spiritual victory over the over 800 priests of Baal there on Mount Carmel? Right away, he began to fear for his life because this wicked queen Jezebel was on his trail. He went into hiding and became so depressed that he despaired of life and that the Lord was gentle with him and merciful and ministered and nurtured him. John the Baptist had a moment like that. Do you remember after he was arrested? He was waiting patiently for Jesus to reveal himself as the Messiah and he, he became weary and waiting and he sent a message to Jesus by his disciples and said, are you he or should we look for another? We're ready for you. Are you going to do anything? John was a martyr. He was beheaded for telling the truth. But it did not start. He did not start as a great prophet of God. He started like all of us do as a baby. And the story of his beginning is here in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. It says a lot about John and his parents Elizabeth and Zacharias, but the most important verse in describing John the Baptist is found in verse 66. Let's look at it more closely. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. 
Perhaps your translation says the hand of the Lord was upon him. We know, of course, that this is an anthropomorphism. It's uh, God allowing us to use human terminology to describe that which is spiritual. God is spirit, the scripture says. When we talk about the hand of the Lord being with someone or on someone, we mean that the Lord has set them aside, obviously, for special service. That is, his hand of blessing was upon John. His hand of anointing was on John. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would anoint a new king, the prophet would come and anoint his head with oil and lay his hands upon him, setting him aside for service unto the Lord. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, the elders of the church at Antioch prayed and fasted, and the Lord told them to set aside Paul and Barnabas to be the world's first international missionaries. And what did they do? They laid their hands upon him. The scripture says that in his mother's womb, the hand of the Lord was on John the Baptist. I worked very hard to teach my four children to hang around people who the hand of the Lord is upon. People who obviously are walking closely with the Lord and the Lord is using in a special way. Just by being around those people, oftentimes we reap residual blessings. But I hasten to say here that this book, this chapter, these verses that I just read are not fundamentally about John the Baptist. He was a great man. Jesus affirmed that. But he was a man and he was a sinner. And the Bible is not about men. The Bible is about God. The Bible reveals God's plan and God's nature. That's what it's all about. And so when we read this passage of Scripture or any passage of Scripture in any genre of Scripture, we must ask of it some diagnostic questions. Now, if you're not feeling well, you make an appointment with the doctor. And if you have a good doctor, he's going to begin the appointment by asking some diagnostic questions. He's going to ask probably, what brought you in today? He'll say, well, I don't feel well. And he's going to ask, well, what part of your body hurts? How do you feel? And he's going to keep asking those questions till he comes up with a diagnosis and then a prognosis. And we should do the same as we study the scripture. We should ask of any scripture we read or that the pastor reads, what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about his nature? What is he calling us to do? How is he calling us to change? And so as we walk through these verses today, let, let's do that. I've, I've tried to help you by giving you an outline. That's why I give you an outline every week, by the way. I know many of you take advantage of that. I'm trying to help you ask those diagnostic questions of the text. And so there are three this morning. Number one, God's promises. Number two, God's commandments. And three, God's power. Let, let's begin with God's promises. God's promises are to be believed. God's promises are to be believed. You know how Luke starts his gospel. It begins with Zacharias, who was a priest of the Lord, and Elizabeth, his wife. And Zacharias it was his time of the year. Remember, two times of the year, two weeks of the year, he, as a priest, he would go to Jerusalem to the temple and he would minister there. And while he was ministering there, he had this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the one to offer the incense offering there in the holy place in the temple. And so he goes inside by himself, as was the custom, and the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, met him there. And he had a message. And he said, Zacharias... Your wife Elizabeth is going to become pregnant and she's going to have a son and his name is to be called John. 
And Zacharias, like most of us, had some doubt in his heart because his wife had been barren all of her life and they were getting up in years. And he'll say, how will I know this is true? And remember, it offended Gabriel, apparently. And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. <laughs> what more proof do you need? And he said, because you did not believe, you will be mute. You'll be unable to talk until the child is born. And then the scene shifts up to Nazareth here in Luke chapter 1. And here's this little Jewish virgin girl named Mary. And the same angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her that she too would conceive in her womb by the Holy Spirit, a miraculous birth, and that this child would be the Savior and His name would be Jesus, the Lord saves. And He gave her a sign, though she didn't ask for one. She says, your cousin Elizabeth is also conceived. And so Mary got up and she walked, apparently, rode a donkey, the 60 miles south to the hill country of Judea. And there she visited her cousin Elizabeth. And they embraced one another and they exchanged the stories and that both of them were pregnant. And now we come to verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. Now some promises had been made to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Namely, that she would get pregnant. Did that happen? Yes. She would have a child. Yes. And it would be a son. Check. And... His name would be called John. Well, that really more is a commandment, and we'll get to that in a moment. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The Bible teaches that all the promises of God are yes and amen. That is, they are true and trustworthy. And so if God has made a promise in the Bible, it can only be in one of two categories. That promise has been fulfilled or it will be fulfilled, right? There's no possibility if God makes a promise that it won't be fulfilled. Now, when you and I, human beings, make promises to one another, there's always the possibility that it won't come about, right? Now, now sometimes we make promises to one another that we have every intention of keeping. And, for example, a father may tell his son that, hey, we're going camping Friday after school. Get ready. And Friday afternoon comes up, and it's a big hailstorm. And the weatherman says, do not in, under any circumstances go out in this weather. It's too dangerous. And the dad has to go to the son and says, maybe next week. Now the father had every intention of keeping that promise, but something happened. Circumstances arose that were greater than the dad's ability to overcome. That's one reason we don't keep promises. Another reason we, we fail to keep promises is because we lie. That is, we never had any intention of keeping a promise. We tell something what they want to hear, so we get what we want in the moment, and we don't follow through later. Now, let me ask you about God. Is there a possibility in either of those circumstances God won't keep His promise? Can, can there be a circumstance arise that is too great for God to overcome? <laughs> Obviously not. He wouldn't be God if that were the case. Secondly, would God ever lie? No. Father, the scripture says that he is perfect and, and cannot lie. And so when God says something, you can believe it. All of his promises have been fulfilled or will be. Now, secondly, God's commandments are to be obeyed. There is a commandment to Zacharias and Elizabeth here in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Back up a page if you need to, to verse 13. Gabriel is announcing the birth of John the Baptist to his father Zacharias. 
And this is what he says, Luke 1, 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. That's the commandment. You're to name him John once he is born. Now, this tells me several things about God, but uh, I think the most obvious and most important is God is concerned with even the trivial matters of our lives, like what we name our children. Things that in the bigger scheme of things, a lot of people would think are unimportant. God cares about those things too. I often thank the Lord in prayer that, that I don't serve a distant deity. As I travel to other nations of the world and I see the deities that they worship, they all have one thing in common. They're distant. They're impersonal. And, and these people sacrifice and give offerings to these gods and goddesses and these deities, but there's never any idea that they are personally concerned about them in any way. Aren't you glad our God's not like that? He's not a distant deity. He's a sympathetic Savior. He invites us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us and even the small matters of life. He says His name is to be called John, the, the name John, as I've told you, means the Lord is gracious. This tells us also that all the commandments of God are to be obeyed. Sometimes we like to distill the commands of God down to a couple, and then the others we believe maybe are optional. Not what the Bible teaches. All of the commandments of God are to be obeyed, even to the point of what we name our children. Now, here in Luke 1.58, listen. Elizabeth is having the child, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord was display, had displayed great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. That's biblical. New Testament says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. That was the customary in, in Jewish culture to, on the eighth day, the day of circumcision, that's when the name would be unveiled publicly and officially. And so everyone was waiting anxiously, what are you going to call him? And they just assumed, because they'd waited so long for a baby and it was a boy, it was going to be Zach Jr. But uh, Elizabeth surprises everyone and she says, no indeed, he shall be called John. And that confused the neighbors and friends and they said, look, there's nobody in your family named John. And so they thought maybe Elizabeth uh, was just uh, having a bad moment and so they turned away from her and turned towards her husband, Zacharias, and they made signs to him as to what he wanted him called. Now, apparently, that tells us not only was he mute, he was deaf. And he called for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. His name is John. Now, I don't know how you named your children. At our house, we have four, and we kind of take turns when uh, our first was born, I, I insisted that we give her a good southern double name because I'm from Mississippi. Emma, Catherine, <laughs> Emma Kate. Aubrey was born, it was her mom's turn, and she named her Aubrey Claire. And, and then uh, Andrew, I think we agreed on that one together, and her mom got to, to name the last one, we think, Eliza. I don't know how you named it, but uh, wouldn't it be neat if God named your child? You know, if God named your child, it's going to be a good one, right? I'm amazed at some of the things, especially where I'm from, that people name their children. 
John's a good name. It means the Lord is gracious. And if you're a parent and you're wondering what you're going to name your next child, and if it's a boy, I, I would consider John. The Lord seems to approve of it. God's commandments are to be obeyed, even what we would consider small ones. Thirdly, God's power is to be feared. Look at verse 64. And at once, this is at once right after he declared on tablet that his name is John, at once, immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. He began to speak in praise of God. For, for nine months, this man, who was a leader in the community, had been unable to talk. Can you imagine? And I imagine he laid in bed at night, longing for that moment when he could talk again. And, and I'm sure that he had given a lot of thought to the first thing he was going to say. What's the first thing he did when he could talk again? He praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. The purpose of our obedience is to glorify God. Jesus said to his disciples, recorded in the New Testament, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give you a trophy. That they may see your good works and give you a, a raise and a, a title. No. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Is that what happened with Zacharias? Well, it seems to be because verse 65, it says, Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. God used the birth of this child and the healing of this priest to glorify himself. And really that's the purpose of everything that happens in our lives is to glorify our Father who is in heaven. Scripture says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so the people around them, their friends, their neighbors, were edified by the very fact that they were their friends and their neighbors. I hope my neighbors feel that way about me. Now let's look at this miracle itself, the loosening of Zacharias' tongue. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And I would put in that category even language, the ability to speak or to read or write. I believe that God created language. And the evidence of that, I think, is found in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. After God had created Adam and Eve, He fellowshiped with them. The Scripture says He spoke to them and with them. And they understood apparently what He said. And they were able to communicate to Him. And I don't think Adam and Eve sat around and Till they figured out a language system, do you? God put in their heart and their mind how to communicate. God created language. Secondly, God confounded language, didn't He? You remember that after the ark came to rest there on top of Mount Ararat, and the only people left were Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. And God told them really the same thing He told Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply. To subdue the land, that is to spread out all over the world. They didn't do that. They began to hang around in that little valley, spoke the same language, and they began to have scientific achievements. They began great in their own mind, and they decided that in their pride they'd build a tower to heaven. In the midst of doing that, God came down and 
Scripture says he confounded their language, caused them to speak in ways they could not understand one another. And so by virtue of that, they spread out and did what he wanted them to do. But God also controls language. Look at Mark chapter 7. Jesus, in the midst of his earthly ministry, has come to a region called the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. And he is uh, performing miracles, as was his custom. Mark chapter 7, verse 32. Mark 7, 32. The scripture says, They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, listen to this, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Matt led us in a reading of Isaiah, the Messianic prophecy. There's another prophecy in Isaiah that says that uh, on that great day of the Lord, one of the things that's going to happen is that the deaf will hear. And the mute will speak. God creates language. He confounds language. He controls language. And he uses language for his glory. Now, friends, here's the truth. Almost everyone in this church can talk. You can speak. You might not be able to carry a tune, but you can praise the Lord. And I want to say to you what I said last Sunday. Don't waste Christmas. You're going to have many opportunities at socials and office parties and People are talking about Christmas. They're open to the things of God. Don't, don't waste it. Open your mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When we stand to sing a Christmas song, sing it. Doesn't matter if you can sing. Well, I can't. Sing as unto the Lord. And, and when a door of opportunity comes, even to a stranger, to speak a word for Christ, take it. Because here's the truth. None of us know if we're going to have another opportunity to do that. Something could happen tomorrow to take away your voice, could take away your health, and you would never have the ability to, again to do that, which you know the Lord has called you to do. And I say that to myself. May the Lord use all of us, real people, for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I thank You for the story of John the Baptist. It's really Your story of how You use real people with faults, imperfect faith, to accomplish your will. Lord, that uh, encourages my heart because I know I'm imperfect and I know these people I serve are imperfect. But Lord, we want to be used by you. We ask you, Lord, that you would use us to advance your kingdom, to glorify our Savior. Father, this Christmas season especially, open our mouth, even as you loosen the tongue of Zacharias to give you praise before his friends and neighbors. Loosen our tongue, Father, to tell about Jesus this Christmas season. Use us to bring many to fear the Lord as he did. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.